Well, this, this morning, uh, I've been invited to uh, offer these reflections. So, just encouraging an attitude of relaxed attention, listening, that kind of edge of attentiveness without any object, not seeking or concentrating on anything in particular, but just recognizing this natural state of attentiveness here and now. So they say relaxed, uh, the attitudes are like of letting go, not, you know, this this is not uh, to achieve or attain or control or get rid of. These are the states we create out of uh, habits, desires, ignorance. It's always, uh, you know, even meditation can be something due to attain something. The holy life can see a continuous kind of war against defilements and to get rid of things. And this is, these are just how the worldly attitudes uh, tend to uh, dominate our conscious experience. So even with all the best intentions and determinations, if we don't get the right understanding from the beginning, then we we can spend our whole lives in just attempts, uh, efforts to to control, to get or get rid of. <clears throat> so in offering this opportunity to sense of relaxed attention, openness, receptivity, letting go of things, which is not anything of annihilating, but releasing that sense of having to do, get, or get rid of anything at all. Now this allows the discerning ability to discern. So you're not going into kind of a blank space uh, of unconsciousness. This is fully conscious and discerning and recognizing. So just by using these kind of suggestions of relaxed attention, letting go, Nothing to do, nothing to attain, nothing to get rid of. Now when, when you, you use those concepts, just to kind of, 
inform yourself, remind yourself, <coughs> what is the result? So you can discern the result of just the y using these words as suggestions, not as positions to take. Not saying there's no absolutely nothing to do, nothing to get rid of, and uh, as a position that we take personally. You know, so I'm not saying I'm perfect, and I don't need to. You know, I've got to let go of everything and put it into that context of me uh, even grasping the ideas of non-attachment. But it's using language more for reminding, for observing rather than defining So reflecting on the, the reality of consciousness that we're all experiencing at this very moment, here and now. We're all conscious beings. So this is taking the word consciousness, English word, which we don't need to define, but to just recognize that this is the reality of consciousness. You know, we're aware of breathing, you're conscious of that you're breathing, uh, you're conscious, there's consciousness, and you're aware of the feeling of pleasure, pain in your body. Awareness of, say, emotional uh, mood or state that you're experiencing right now is like this. So using consciousness with panya or discernment, it's like this. Like awareness of the breath, isn't it? It's a when you start creating it into my breath and my breathing and 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 create, you know, judging and comparing and so forth, then it becomes more than what it is. But there's consciousness and breathing that we're all experiencing now.
So you're discerning the breath in its rising, in its inhaling, exhaling movements. And just to notice this, this is like reflecting on the way it is, where it becomes into some, you read books on Anapanasati, mindfulness of the breath, and all the kind of states you can attain, or uh, on and on about pranayama and so forth. Then, then, it, then we're caught in the theories, ideas of somebody else. It's not to dismiss those, but to know the difference, to discern what conceptual proliferation, you know, the thinking process, views, opinions. And the reality of this moment is like this. So it's not, not a matter of, you know, trying to do something that you read in a book or heard from somebody else, but being able to trust yourself to be the knowing itself, the, the pure conscious knowing of the way it is, the breathing of this body's like this. Then bring, bringing attention just to the body, uh, discerning the body as experienced now, sitting is like this. So you're observing, there's this observation watching this body sitting, ob observing it, the experience is like this, the pressure, the feeling uh, uh, that you're experiencing through the body of heat or, heat or cold or pressure, discomfort or stiffness or pleasure, whatever the sensations that you're recognizing at this moment. So this is encouragement to this sense of relaxed attention, attentive to the way it is, the conditions of the present, the breathing, the body, the mood. You get notice, just you know, ask yourself what kind of mood, emotional quality are you experiencing now, just to observe it. So early morning, say you feel sleepy or dull or bright or whatever it is, it's not, you know, be the knower of the mood rather than become the mood. So this is a way of discerning a state of mind, a mental state that's conditioned. <clears throat> without making it into any problem, just being the, the observer of it rather than becoming the mood itself. 
When we don't know this, then we, we tend to resist or trying to get rid of it or change it or hold on to it. Feel there's something wrong with oneself or if you're in a bad mood or whatever, you know, that you shouldn't or should, good, bad. But this is, this is not, not a criticism of anything you're experiencing, just a noticing, discerning, it's like this. In the reflection on the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unoriginated. Taking these terms, you know, using this is language again, so it's limited and it sounds dualistic, but uh, notice the, the discernment of the conditions, like the breath or the body. This is, I, I use this word discerning, not, you know, because it's not a, it's not critical function. It's intelligent, it knows, but it's not, it's not a, a judging function. It's not your thinking mind, in other words, uh, judging it as being good, bad, right or wrong. So this is like intuitive awareness, sati sampatanya. Like in another moment of observing my inhalation, can't say it's good or bad, it is what it is though. <laughs> Nothing to compare it to. But maybe you, you know, in sense of good, better, best, maybe your inhalations are better than mine, but who's to know? And it's that's not the point, is it? It's not a matter of of right and wrong, good and bad, but of knowing. Inhalation is like this. Exhalation. The discerning the the uh, experience of of the physical body. Sitting, though the posture, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, four postures. Right now we're sitting is like this. Discerning that and sitting is like this. You're aware of the, you know, you're discerning the, the experience of, uh, of sensitivity. The body is a sensitive form, so, it, you know, it's a feeling condition. It feels like this. Then the, this awareness, is consciousness 
or using consciousness with wisdom, like you're informing. Now you're using wisdom rather than conditioned views and opinions, worldly values, worldly uh, attitudes. You're not using worldly values or attitudes, but wisdom or panya, discernment. The conditions are like this. Then the unconditioned, you can't, you know, it's not, you can't discern it in the, in the, as an object, but you can recognize it. The reality, this is ultimate reality. So in liberation, we observe the self and the non-self, the attachment, non-attachment. This is, this is, they say, in Vipassana meditation. Attaching, clinging, identifying, thinking, analyzing, criticizing, liking, disliking, and all that is, you know, when we attach to things, the conditions around them, we, we like them or don't like them, or approve or disapprove, we have values about what, how things should or shouldn't be, principles, standards, all this are part of a convention, a conditioned realm. But in discerning, in the discerning the conditions as conditions, And recognizing the unconditioned is reality. You know, this is like here and now, non-attachment, non-self is like this. So putting in this in the context of Four Noble Truths, uh, the Third Noble Truth is the realization of niroda or cessation. So what does this mean? That, that can be interpreted uh, you know, on an, in an intellectual way or analyzed, but it's not, it's not an intellectual thing at all, it's to, it's to be noticed, the, the rea- reality, when, when you let things go, when, you, when you're no longer attached, clinging, no longer trying to get or get rid of, but you're, there's awareness, consciousness, and then the, this, is, this is real, isn't it? This is not this isn't a created state uh, out of desire. It's just 
not noticed by most people. So you're noticing it like this. This is the deathless, the unconditioned. So it's not in opposition to the condition, and it's only the words, this is where language gets in the way. So it's not, I'm not teaching some kind of dualistic structure, but using words not as positions, not as ways of dividing and preferring, but of just using language more as, as a skillful means, expedient means. So from my own insight, this is the deathless, this is the unconditioned. So what I'm experiencing now is is, is got emptiness, it's not, it's alertness. But this is a restful state of being, it's not, it's not a it's, there's nothing to do in it, it's it's not uh, created or dependent. It's uh, there's silence. I notice the sound of silence. Now this is like letting go, relinquishing, liberation, non-self, there's no, no sense of a person anymore. A thinking process, letting go of that is non-thinking. Now, I've always been very, one of the most meaningful passages of the suttas in the Udana is that there is the unborn, uncreated, unformed, unoriginated. So this is, <coughs> now this means anything to you or not, I don't know, but uh, for me this was, uh, this has been the kind of inspiration of my whole monastic life. And somehow these these kind of statements in the scriptures, like Aparuta De Sangamatasatawa, there's the gate through the deathless are open, or there is the unborn, unconditioned, unformed, uncreated. Now, I don't know how that affects you at all. Because <laughs> I don't you know, we each have our own kind of personal personalities and expectations or why we're in this tradition or whatever, you know, it's, I can't say we're all in it for the same inspiration. <clears throat> but anyway, this is, this is, for me, this is, this is it. Now this is like saying there is God, isn't it? It's a, 
and when you say there's God or there's this, the deathless or something like that, that's putting it in in theistic terms. You know, so you know the word God tends to easily become iconic, and you know, a kind of patriarchal uh, father figure in Western civilization, or in Christianity anyway. So, with the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, the deathless. Now these are the, the, these are the words that the Buddha used according to scriptural, to this uh, Pali canon. And notice that, that the, the words themselves are negations, unconditioned. It's not, it doesn't have the iconic power of, sim, you can't symbolize the unconditioned. You know, you can't, it doesn't become a, a patriarchal male figure or female or anything, is it? It's not, you can't get your mind into it. You can't, you can't create condi- uh, uh, an image of the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated. But it is a skillful use of language, of thought, to point to the reality of unconditioned, rather than just being some metaphysical theory. It's, what is it then? What is, what is the unconditioned now? And then in Vipassana, like Satipatthana, Four Satipatthanas, the, the foundations of mindfulness, the skillful means of pointing to the conditions. You know, to know conditions, discern the conditions, good, bad, right, wrong, pleasure, pain, <coughs> physical, uh, mental, emotional, psychic, memories, Everything that, you know, that we, our whole cultural conditioning, sense of self, views, opinions, sane, insane, right, wrong, refined course. And then the awareness, the foundations of mindfulness. Mindfulness then is the point of this, isn't it? Awareness of the of the uh, conditions, and by by actually discerning conditions as conditions, then you you're letting go of them. To really discern, you can't just analyzing and comparing one condition with another and and thinking about it and analyzing it and, and going around with it intellectually, uh, of course, is not liberating at all. You just, you just form views and opinions and preferences on that level of, of thinking. But mindfulness is different. It's not analyzing, but discerning, recognizing. <coughs> 
conditions. All that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing. And you, you, you can see that, you know, you begin to discern the, the way we attach to these conditions. We identify, like Sakya Ditti, Silabhata Bharamasa, Vichikicha, the first three fetters that prevent stream entry. These are all created conditions. You know, it's all about me and mine and my view and myself and my cultural conditioning, my assumptions, prejudices, biases, and so forth, and my thinking process. So therefore, this getting behind the thinking, being the knowing, being the awareness itself, is the unconditioned. This is it. Then this this is it, isn't it? The unconditioned, where we're actually abiding in the unconditioned to be aware of the conditions. So it's not getting rid of the conditions that we realize the unconditioned. So we're not taking sides and, and kind of going off into some view about you know, the division between those two concepts, the unconditioned and the conditioned, but using those terms for reflecting on the way it is. So this is the unconditioned, the awareness of the condition. So in this statement, there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unformed. And if there were not the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unformed, there would be no escape from the born, created, conditioned form. And it's escape. There'd be no way out. We'd just be stuck in the samsara, in our thinking process, in our loves and hates, our prejudices, our cultural conditioning, uh, our sense of a self, our thinking process, there'd be no escape from it. We'd just be stuck in it forever. There's no possibility of getting out of it. But So this statement, there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unformed. You realize how how wonderful that is, this statement, because before you appreciate this, you know, the suffering, the dukkha of being human is you feel stuck in this whirlpool of self, of fear and desire. At least I did. You know, you're just stuck in this, in this cyclone, this tsunami, this uh, vortex of feelings and thoughts and views and opinions, fears, a lot of fear and anger, guilt and confusion. So then the Buddha says there is the escape 
So escape means not, you know, not in, it doesn't mean uh, annihilating or running away, but recognizing. We're not trying to to uh, destroy the condition. And it's not like suicide. It's not recommended we cut our throats, but in awareness. Is the so this awareness, the path to the deathless. This is the deathless. And then the condition is in perspective then. There is an escape. There is a, a way out of this whirlpool. Into this stillness. This is our natural state. Recognize our abiding. So you see, it's not an attainment. You don't, when you start thinking of attaining nibbana or something like that, you've got to, you, you missed the point. You know, no way is anyone going to attain nibbana as some kind of personal achievement. So this is this is natural. This is not created. You know, they're not not refined, not precious. When you recognize it, then it's everywhere and not dependent on meditation retreats or, you know, quiet, peaceful situations. Now I've used this. Uh, there is the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed. If there were not the unconditioned, unborn, uncreated, unformed, there'd be no escape from the condition, the created, the form, the born, the form. But because there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, unformed, there is the escape from the born, created, conditioned form. Now to me this is a, this is a brilliant statement in terms of language. And yet I don't hear many people ever quoting it or you know, it doesn't, even in Buddhist circles. <clears throat> Because it's not, it's not particularly like an inspired, it's not an, it sounds kind of, it's repetitious, isn't it? It's, uh, it's not put in an inspiring term. There's nothing inspiring about the unborn, uncreated. But it speaks on an, on an intuitive level to me. It's intuitive. It's something, you know, because it is in this formulaic style, you know, uninspired formula. Therefore, it's not meant to, to kind of just make me high as a kite and, 
and you know, and I think of it and, and use it just to to uh, lift my emotions up. But it's a it's a reflective. It's pointing always at the here and now. So in in a determination in practice, you know, the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned now. Discerning that it's not you, you, know, you can't when you try to figure it out you can't in your mind you, you, there's no way you can conceive it. But suddenly the the it suddenly you awaken. This is it. This is reality. This is the unborn, uncreated. And then the created, the form is you know you know what it is. Sapesankaranicca. Now this is you recognize it, then it there's a certainty that comes through this kind of reflection reflectiveness because uh, you you know you give up you you no longer believing your thinking mind and your emotional demands and all that you're no longer believing in them the way that, that you do if you don't know this. So in, in my own experience, it's a, my own emotional habits, you know, and thinking my views and opinions and all that kind of thing and, and the reactions, Vipaka uh, Kama that arises. There's a discerning it. No, but no longer do I believe in it. You know, it doesn't isn't real for me anymore like it used to be, because you you're discerning it in terms of it is conditioned, it is what it is. But the strength of the unconditioned, of this knowing, of this awareness, is. It has a stability that the changing conditions of emotions and memories and thoughts, you know, they, they seem, you know, they are, they're ephemeral, they're transient. Now this awareness then, the gate to the deathless, the unconditioned. Because it's not discriminative, it's not judgmental. Then that's metta, isn't it? Say, put it in terms of uh, metta, loving kindness. Metta, uh, you know, it's not judging critical thinking about what should or shouldn't be good, bad, right or wrong. So it's not a kind of cold-hearted, you know, indifference to to the conditioned realm. I mean, like it might sound like that, 
when I when you speak when you use the terms unborn, uncreated. But this is discerning using using uh, say Brahma Vihara then Metta Karuna Mudito Peka. Now these are inspiring terms to to most of us, aren't they? Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity. <clears throat> so the Brahma Viharas they they tend to be positives, you know, kind of beautiful. Uh, they can be seen in terms of ideals. In fact, we can create ideals of compassion, bodhisattva. You know, a human being who's totally compassionate for all sentient beings, uh, altruism, and and so forth. Uh, we can create these these beautiful images of of compassion of human forms that are totally compassionate, full of loving kindness, joy, equanimity. So that, you know, that's another use of, of language. But in terms of the reality of this moment, be, rather than just thinking in terms of inspiring concepts, what is met the reality of metta, you know, in terms of here and now, of loving kindness? And then when you, when you, uh, you know, when we, when we do the formulaic metta practice, uh, may I abide in well-being, you know, this is, um, what does that mean, you know, here and now? Me, my personality, may my personality abide, may I have just positive, happy personality and feel good all the time. Happy, happy sumato. Nicey, nice. Or, you know, is it, is it just a kind of, you know, a, a goody good practice? Or is it, you know, much more profound than that? And what is metta, the reality of metta? When you discern this, the unconditioned, when you, when you recognize it like this, then there's room for everything. You know, there's not, you know, for good, bad, right, wrong, devils, angels, evil forces, the saints, the devadas, the pretas, the bad ones, the good ones, Lord of Death. Because these are conditions. Yeah. So it's discerning, but it's not judging. And that's what metta really is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's not a kind of stupid kind of wishing well uh, kind of good-heartedness that we create but it is uh, it is quite profound in the in the real the reality of observing this is metta is is basic is real you know as we trust in the unconditioned recognizing abide in the then metta is is 
this must, this is what metta really is. So the insight is that, you know, there's love, using the English word love for metta, unconditioned love. So it's not, not a kind of cold uh, dismissal of conditioned phenomena, it's a willing kind of acceptance, allowing conditions to be what they are without, you know, trying to control or judge or criticize. And then in, in your own practice, your own mind, isn't it? It's learning to accept, un, you know, the, the darkness, the anger, the, the evil side, uh, the evil thoughts, the nonsense, the, the stupidity that, that we all experience in our minds in moments. It's not judging, but it's, it's, it's this loving kindness, allowing a condition, <clears throat> no matter what its quality might be, to be what it is. So the unconditioned then embraces the conditions. They arise and cease change. But our refuge is in the unconditioned yeah. rather than trying to, you know, getting lost in the conditioned realm, which is dukkha, the first noble truth. We suffer all the time when we don't know this. We, we're always caught in this, in the realm of fear and desire, kind of blinded victims of, of these conditions. Oh, this is just sharing my my own insights. How I've used these uh, these teachings. But uh, I do appreciate this this particular, you know, the Theravada suttas, you know, because this. But, you know the the the, uh, the teaching itself in in this uh, tradition is brilliant. If you if for use, it's practical. It's for practice. It's not for grasping, or it's not a you know it's 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 like a map, a good map that that is very useful if used, you know, skillfully, like anything. So in, in uh, emphasizing the, the Four Noble Truths, the uh, Paticca Samuppada, dependent origination, this uh, unconditioned unborn, there's the escape from the condition, the born, the forms, these are these are not doctrinal teachings, but suggestions. You know, ways of exploring, investigating experience. 
to where then the and it can sound too in in some ways rather uh, one person one Catholic priest once described my teaching as cold surgery it sounds, it sounds a bit like you know cold-hearted approach but it's it's not it's, it's you know it's it's because of the limitation of words, I don't, I don't tend to, to use inspired concepts. You know, I don't want to get high, and just you know, feel good, but get to the real root of, of suffering, and recognize and realize, Dhamma. The deathless reality. That's what we're in this for. Why are we here? Why monks and nuns? Why do we live like this? And of course it's for this, you know, for liberation. To be free from ignorance and delusion. And so that, let's say, this uh, vasa, nearly over. But we have, you know, life, these are just the conventions of time, seasons, and so forth. But even uh, during the Katina season and all that, this does not in any way, there's uh, no obstruction to awareness, mindfulness, and this kind of practice, reflecting on suffering, its causes, cessation, and the path of non-suffering. 